If you'd like to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14, we will be there in just a moment. This morning, I'd like for us to consider the Lord's body. Now, I'm not talking about his physical body, the body we just remembered in partaking of the Lord's Supper. I'm talking about the church. In Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, And he put all things in subject, in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all, the church which is his body. We understand that as Christians, we know. We know this language. We know that the church is referred to as the Lord's body. Passages like 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27 says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Also as Christians, we understand that we make up the body. Body is made up by souls, not by walls. So as we consider the church, there are many aspects that are unique to it. And one of those aspects is that the church is autonomous. That is, the church is self-governed. We are not connected to any other churches of Christ in this area. Nor do we have a, a headquarters that are located somewhere else, like maybe Tallahassee or something like that. We don't have that. And we don't have uh, a headquarters that dictates what we do. A church can be established and maintained simply by following the, the directions that are given to us in Scripture. Paul tells Timothy in, the, in his second letter to the young evangelist, in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. If we retain, if we hold on to sound doctrine, practice that, we can have a practice and functioning church. We don't need any outside authority or headquarters to tell us how to do that. Before we talk too much more about church autonomy or its self-governance, I'd like to lay some groundwork a little bit about the church itself. And this is really not going to come anything new to, especially this audience here today. But I wanted just to remind you about some things. Why is it that we are here today? Why is it that we are gathered in this place? It's because we come together on the first day of the week as the church. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, Paul says, For in this place, when you come together as the church... So it's clear in Paul's writing to the Corinthians. That's where we talk about there in, in chapter 11 about coming together to take the Lord's Supper. In chapter 16 about laying by in store, putting aside monies on the first day of the week. We come together as the church. And as we mentioned from 1 Corinthians 12, 27 already, we are Christ's body. We are individually the members of the church. But there are other Christians today in other places that are meeting. Aren't they also members of the body? How can we be of the same body with other Christians in other places 
and yet stand alone as a self-governing church, as a self-governing body. For this, we must understand that the word church in Scripture is used to describe two different collections of Christians, if you will. There is one collection that includes all baptized believers, living and dead. Sometimes that is referred to as the church universal. That is a way of describing what that means. All baptized believers, living and dead. That's the church universal. When the Lord talks about his body, that's what he's talking about. Then there's a collection of Christians in a local area that come together, and they come together as a church, as we've already read. And this is a local church. And that's what we are gathered here this morning. We are gathered here as Church of Christ here in Cortez. So let's talk a little bit about the, the distinction in these two, about the complete whole body of baptized believers, living and dead, and the local congregation. So let's start with this universal church, so to speak, the Lord's body. That is the church that the Lord said that he would build. We know from Matthew 16, verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. This is the Lord speaking to Peter. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus intended from, the, from his ministry from the beginning of time when God set all these things in motion that Jesus would come and he would build his church. It is indeed his church. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22, and gave him as head over all things to the church. We read that a moment ago. Acts 20, and verse 28, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So not is it only his church, but he paid for it. He paid for it with his blood. And as we mentioned, this body consists of all Christians, all baptized believers, living and dead. In Hebrews 12, beginning of verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better of the blood of Abel, that tells us about the body, those who are enrolled, the general assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It lets us know who belongs in this church, in the Lord's body. We know, as Bible students, that this church began on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So when we talk about the beginning of the church, we find it in Scripture. We don't find it in history books. We don't find it ascribed to any man or any organization. We find it in Scripture, simply there. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. It began on the day of Pentecost. We also know from Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 that it's God that adds to the church. It says, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the Lord adds to the number those baptized believers 
and they're baptized into Christ, God adds them to the Lord's body. Another thing about the church universal, about the Lord's body, it has no earthly organization. And why is that? Because the chief shepherd is in heaven. 1 Peter 5 and verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We talk about headquarters. Many in the denominational world will have their headquarters set up in different cities and different places. The Lord's church has no such headquarters on earth. It has been said, and I think it's quite right, our headquarters are in heaven. That's where the chief shepherd resides. With that in mind, let's, think, let's shift our attention now to talk of the local church, the local congregation. It's made up of Christians in the same geographical area. Makes sense. We come from different places driving here this morning to come together as the church. It makes sense. We see it spoken of in, in Scripture, i.e., for example, the church at Corinth. The church of the Thessalonians. So it makes sense to us. The local churches are many churches, indeed. Instead of one church, as the Lord's body is, as the church universal, there are many churches. Galatians 1 and verse 2 says, The churches of Galatia. Galatia was a region like Macedonia or Cilicia. And in those regions, there were many churches, many local churches. Romans 16 and verse 16 says, All the churches of Christ greet you. Again, plurality. Again, mentioning church of Christ. As opposed to the universal church, there are many churches, there are many local congregations. And a church, a local church, begins when Christians come together. When they come together to worship God. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, it says, And they were, for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So we see there men and women coming together, teaching, preaching, growing together. And it says they were first called Christians in Antioch. The church begins simply when Christians come together to worship God. And we join ourselves together. And when new people come in, they might want to join themselves to a local congregation. And we have that example from Acts chapter 9, when Paul wanted to join himself to the church in Jerusalem. In chapter 9, beginning verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. So we have that example Paul wanted to join himself to a group. They had their reservations about Saul. They knew who he was. But Barnabas stuck up for him. And eventually he was able to join them. In verse 28 it says, And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. A local church indeed does have organization. A church set in proper order has elders, and deacons, and saints. And among those saints are teachers and preachers. We can see that organization from Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Jack read there for us a moment ago. There is an organization 
to a local congregation. So we see the differences between the church universal, the Lord's body, and the local congregation. As we understand the differences between these two, let's talk about how churches began. We've mentioned this as Christians coming together. Let's look at it a little closely. That's why I've asked you to look here in Acts chapter 14. We have a great example here in this one chapter of how a church is begun, how it's strengthened, and how it's maintained. So it starts by being established. And that starts by proclaiming the gospel. If you're there in Acts chapter 14, look in verse 6. It says, They became aware of it and fled to the cities of Laconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. What cannot be lost in all this and what must always be there is the preaching of the gospel. That is the seed. We'll look, at the, we'll look at the parable of the sower tonight in our study on parables. I invite you to come back and look at that with us. That's where it begins, the sowing the seed of the gospel. And making disciples. Once the seed is sown, disciples need to be made. You'll be there still in Acts chapter 14, down in verse 20. It says, The next day when he went away with Barnabas to Derbe, after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples... There it is again, preaching the gospel, building on that preaching in making disciples. Once the church has been established, it needs to be built up. It needs to be strengthened. In verse 21 of Acts 14, it says, They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. As this church is built, has is, is been established, it needs to be built up. It needs to be strengthened. One of the things that needs to happen, it needs to be set in order with the proper authority and the proper structure. And that means appointing elders. In verse 23, it says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting. God intends for his church to be overseen by shepherds. He wants those shepherds to oversee the local congregation. And those shepherds are elders. Having been established, having been strengthened and built up, the teaching needs to continue in a church. First of all, there needs to be praising in the name of the Lord. The second part of verse 23 says, They commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. It may sound really simple, but we must always remember that. Commended them to the Lord. Our praise to God needs to be fervent. It needs to be heartfelt. And it needs to permeate what it is that we do as a church. Paul continued teachings in his letters. In Colossians 4 and verse 16 says, When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Paul wanted his teachings to be spread throughout the churches. To make sure that they were following the sound pattern. Holding on to sound doctrine. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 27, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. 
gospel teaching needed to be continually going out, continually being taught, holding fast, holding fast to these things. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or letter from us holding fast to those traditions that have been taught by Paul, by others, by the letters that he was writing and circulating amongst the churches. So we see a church from the first century being established through the preaching of the gospel, being strengthened, being built up, and being continually exhorted and admonished when needed be. So now that we see how a local church begins and is maintained, Let's talk about its autonomy, which is really what I wanted this lesson to focus on. But we have to lay that groundwork first in understanding what the local congregation is. So we have a local congregation, and we've already established in what we've read that this local congregation is self-governing. It is autonomous. It doesn't answer to any other church. It doesn't answer to any headquarters or any other authority on earth. As we learn, the, church, the local church is made up of saints. Christians in a local area that come together as a church, it's really that simple. And as we also discuss, it is led by elders with the help of deacons. Elders are to rule only the church that they are a part of. They are only to rule the church that they are a part of, the local church. First Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of also of the glory that has been revealed. Verse 2 from 1 Peter 5. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but, for with, eager, but with eagerness. Shepherd the flock among you, it's really that simple. Elders among you. And the members of the local church, if they are indeed under the elders' authority, they must submit themselves to the elders' authority. Hebrews 13, verse 17, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this will be unprofitable for you. So when the proper, with a church set in order, it has elders. That's scriptural, that, that, that does so. And they are to shepherd the flock that is among them, not any other flock. Simply the flock that is among them. And if you're a part of that group and that group has elders, you are expected to submit to their authority. There is no other structure for the local church than what we've just talked about here. There is no outside governing body. There is no headquarters. There is no group of churches that come together and have any kind of hierarchy of eldership. That's it. It's a local church with elders and deacons and saints. So why is this important? Why talk about this? Well, in this we see God's wisdom. We see God's wisdom in setting this system up. So that the local church is only responsible to itself. There's less chance of corruption among elders removed from their flocks. Think about it. Think about it in the world of politics. How accessible is our president? 
He's far away from us. Rather, how accessible is our city councilman? He's very close to us. So a lot of churches have patterned themselves after that very system, a political system, where they have a hierarchy of elders, especially in the Catholic Church. That removes the leadership from the flock. We see God's wisdom in that. We see God's wisdom in the elders only shepherding the flock that is among them. And those people being responsible and being uh, and answering to, being held accountable to those local elders. Another thing we see in this, in God's wisdom, is we see the error, the error is not spread from the headquarters down through the associated churches. Think about that. If the headquarters decided that you don't have to be baptized to be saved, and they pass that down to all the churches that are associated with them, think about all the people that are being led astray from one group making a decision. We see God's wisdom in having a church stand alone so that if there is error that creeps in, it is within that only, that only that group in that local place. And it can be fought there. Each church is to be a well-functioning body. Each church is to be accountable to its own members. We don't have any kind of hierarchy structure. There is uh, no place other than the scripture that we need to look to understand how as Christians we are to be a functioning body. Jack read from Ephesians 4. I'd like to turn there and read a few things again from this to help remember and help underscore what we have talked about here from Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Or we have a list of people that are involved in the local church. Now, we don't have prophets. We don't have apostles, in, apostles anymore. But we certainly have evangelists, and we certainly have pastors, which is another term for elders. And we have teachers. And look what it says. Why is this structured this way? And again, we see God's wisdom so clearly. Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That's why we come together as a church. That's why we are under the rule of local, uh, of local elders. Under their authority. So that we can work together for service to God. Down to verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by... Um, wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ there again Christ being the head of the body verse 16 for whom all the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. How beautifully simple the local church is, made up of these different people, elders and deacons and saints, coming together, working together for service to God. And as we do that, what does it say? It says we grow up together. And we benefit from each of those functioning parts, the whole body being benefited by that which every joint supplies. 
We know that the church belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it was him that established it. We know that it was him who bought it with his own blood. And if you are a Christian, you are a member of the church. God added you to the number when you were baptized. After that, you then join yourself to a local group of Christians who are seeking to serve God as we've been commanded to do in Scripture. And if that church has elders, you are to submit to their scriptural authority. And that local church is to be a self-governing body, free from oversight from any other earthly institution. Our headquarters are in heaven, where the chief shepherd resides. So this leads to a conclusion. If you have not been baptized into Christ, you are not a member of the church. You're not a part of this discussion. Only through baptism does God add those to the church. But of course that can be rectified. Of course the decision comes to you. You've heard and believed the gospel message and repented of your former life and confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Then you indeed are a candidate to be baptized and to be added to the Lord's body. If as a child of God you've stumbled, if you're not living the life that you should be living, you need the prayers of this congregation. You can let that be known. Whatever help we might give to you, you can let it be known by coming forward as we stand to encourage you.